Welcome to the Parents at Work podcast, a podcast for parents who want to succeed at work while they're also raising children. My name is Lori Mahalik-Levin, and I'm a healthcare lawyer, founder of a program called Mindful Return that helps employers retain their new parent top talent, and a mama to two wonderful redheaded boys who are now nine and 11 years old. I am joined today by my co-host and amazing husband, Jason Levin. Jason, welcome. Good morning, amazing wife, Lori Mahalik-Levin. Thrilled to be here on this uh, wonderful, beautiful day where we can actually walk our children to camp, feeling good. Welcome, everyone. I'm the founder of Ready, Set, Launch, LLC, where I'm a speaker, trainer, and coach. I advise executives on how to grow their professional services practice and make intentional career transitions. My debut book, Relationships to Infinity, The Art and Science of Keeping in Touch, is now available on Amazon and wherever you find books online. Awesome, Jason. So this month on the Parents at Work podcast, we're interviewing moms and dads who are diversity professionals. And if you haven't already listened to our conversation with the two amazing moms in DEI, JSX Sena and Kamila Knight, you should definitely do that. We are now turning our attention to dads in diversity and equity and inclusion. Over to you, Jason, to introduce our fabulous dad guest for today. Thanks so much, Lori. And it is a pleasure to introduce Ken Emo. Ken Emo is the global head of diversity and inclusion for Adobe. Ken is an accomplished executive, author, lawyer, and U.S. Air Force Judge Advocate General Corps veteran who promotes organizational change through diversity, equity, and inclusion and other strategic human capital initiatives. Ken is a proud husband to his wife, Jennifer. And there are three girls, Olivia, who is 15, 12-year-old twins, Cecilia and Juliet, and two dogs. So their first dog was Julio Jones. And then during COVID, they got a COVID puppy, Sir Lewis Hamilton, also known as Louie. He was a four-year scholar athlete at Southern Methodist University and received his law degree from Wake Forest University School of Law. Ken, welcome to the Parents at Work podcast. Jason, Lori, thank you so much for having me. This is uh, really excited to be here. Really happy to have you. So Ken, the very first thing that we'd love to have you do, and we ask all of our guests this, is to tell us a little bit about your own personal working parent story, please. So as you mentioned in the introduction, so thank you for that. Very kind words. I really appreciate that. You know, my story begins also with my wife's story. We both work outside of the home. And so we're raising these three amazing uh, daughters, you know, 15-year-old Olivia, our 12-year-old twin, Cecilia and Juliet. You know, it's a constant juggle. I think, you know, what's good about it is that we're setting, I think, a pretty good example in the home with our daughters as to how you sort of navigate our personal and professional lives and trying to set some pretty clear boundaries. We don't always get it right. Things can be a bit of a challenge, but we're very present for our daughters with some of their, you know, activities outside the home. And I think it also helps that with the jobs that we have, you know, our, our daughters see that in us, we're also motivated by purpose. And so, you know, leading diversity, equity and inclusion for several years is a job that is, you know, has its challenges, quite frankly. And, and, and you know, we're really trying to address big systemic issues. And I like to look at the work that I do as an extension of the civil rights movement. Uh, we're just calling it diversity, equity, and inclusion. So these are obviously issues that the country, society, you know, the workplace has been have been trying to address for 
generations, decades, some would even say centuries. And I'm able to share that with my children and why this work is important to me. And so I think that's I think that's something that they value and appreciate, especially as they get older, more so with my 15 year old than with the twins, because she's very aware of the issues. And she asks a lot of really good questions that, quite frankly, I think I actually make me better at what I do because I'm being sort of probed and prodded by my daughter who represents Gen Z. So I have to be mindful of, of that as well. So it's a work in progress. Uh, and I think it's something that, and that is, you know, sort of navigating what I do and, and being a parent, it's a work in progress. And it's something that I don't think will ever be complete. I'm, I'm constantly sort of working at this issue and, and at these issues and, and trying to be better. Mm, I think parenthood is a gigantic work in progress. I don't know. There is no uh, final destination finish line. I really am inspired by your description of the DEI work as an extension of the civil rights movement. Thank you for that analogy, Ken. And you've already sort of gone in this direction, but I'm curious to know whether there's anything in particular that you think describes what it's like to be a working parent in the DEI space that might be generalizable to other people who are working parents also doing the type of work that you do? Yeah, I think one of, I think one of the biggest things as a working parent in the DEI space is sometimes it's hard to turn work off. And I think regardless of what you do, you should be able to turn work off. However, you know, in the past two and a half years, or just what the country has gone through um, with, you know, COVID initially and sort of the, the xenophobia that accompanied COVID, you know, the Asian community being targeted mm-hmm. uh, as a result of COVID. And then obviously with all the, the social unrest issues that started in some respects with the murder of George Floyd and so many mm-hmm. other terrible, tragic events involving African-American people at the hands of law enforcement. It was almost as if there was this collective epiphany for Mm -hmm. some people in our country that things just aren't right. You know, to have children growing up in this world who are old enough to tune in to social media or, you know, have conversations with some of their friends about these things that they're experiencing and then having these conversations with us, you know, my Mm -hmm. wife and my girlfriend and I in the house made it such that we couldn't turn this off. And there, you know, there were certain conversations that I had to have with my children that quite frankly, I, I didn't want to have now. I always, it's one of those things that as they get older, we can talk about racial unrest and other terrible issues that the country dealt with, but the past two years accelerated everything. And because of that, you know, I never felt like I could really turn this off, turn mm-hmm. work off because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm constantly having these conversations with my children about what's going on externally. And then there were conversations around, you know, sadly, some of the conversations my parents had with me when I was a kid around people started talking about the talk and the talk Mm. being, you know, conversations that black parents have with their children to quite frankly, make sure that they're going to come home safely after going out uh, wherever they may be going. You know, I had those discussions with my parents when I was younger. I had it with them. They had that those conversations with me when I was around the time that I was old enough to drive. And so let's say 15, 16 years old. I'm I'm originally from Houston, Texas, you know, child of the you know, 80s and 90s. I'm having these conversations with my children before they can drive. 
Yeah. I'm having these conversations, as I said before, my oldest is 15. So this was two years ago. So I'm having this, these conversations with my 13 and 10 year old. Mm-hmm. It's a sad state of affairs. But at the same time, I'm, I'm also I also feel like I'm arming my kids to just for basic self-preservation in the world. That made things a little difficult because I was constantly thinking about, you know, what's best for my kids, also in the context of what I do and also thinking about it through the lens of. You know, how can I be even better and more effective at work, you know, by sharing some of these stories, but sharing stories isn't enough. Like, and also thinking, you know, what are some of the big changes that can be made to address these issues within the workplace and literally sort of harnessing the energy mm-hmm. in this collective epiphany that I referenced before to ensure we can make some some real change. And real change that will benefit those children that we we're just talking about, right? Whenever they're coming up through the, the workforce. Um, Ken, I just have to reflect that the words you used a moment ago about talking about you knew you were going to have these conversations and you wanted to, but just maybe not now, not yet, not at this age, was almost verbatim word for word what Kamila Knight said. Um, she's DEI at Donaher on our mom uh, podcast as well. So I'm, I'm certain that this is a real prevalent theme. I want to sneak in one last question before I pass the baton over to Jason, which is in this world where you can't turn off for many reasons, what do you do to reset and restore yourself? Because it's impossible to go 24, 7, 365 without taking a break, right? That's a great question. You know, I love that you asked that question because something I often tell people, you know, who, who report into me or people I work with or just friends and colleagues generally is, is really to prioritize self-care. And if you don't take care of yourself first, you can't take care of anybody else. So I'm a huge proponent of exercise. I worked mm-hmm. out quite a bit. And exercise for me, as I've gotten older, I've, I've sort of redefined exercise. And for me, it's essentially anything I do that requires physical exertion. So t- harder exercise. <laughs> changes. Yes, Exactly. <laughs> I'm big into cycling, so I'm on the Peloton bike, you know, have other you know pieces of workout equipment in my basement that I use regularly. But I've got these two dogs that you mentioned before, Julio Jones and, and Louie, and I love to take them on walks. One of the things that I love to do with my dogs is early on a Saturday morning, uh, as the sun is rising, take them out and walk around, you know, our, our town. I live in Northern Virginia. Uh, walk around our town here and just I, I find peace in those moments because it's usually just me and the dogs. And I this may sound somewhat cheesy, but I, I just love watching the, the sunrise and just being outside and, and sort of being a part of nature and listening to a podcast as I'm doing that with the mm. dogs. I'm, I'm big in the podcast and podcast. I like sports, so podcasts that are sports related, podcasts that have comedic in nature. <laughs> yes. um, so it's things really just to take my my mind off of off of work. And then when I'm home, just spending time with Jen and, and the girls and just, you know, listening to music, which is something we love to do in our family. And, and my wife and I love watching you know different shows. And so I'm always trying to find things to disconnect. Now, I will say that while it's hard to turn it off, I do turn it off. Though I'm very intentional in turning things off. And what I find is that, especially over the past two and a half years, people would want to talk to me more about what I did sort of in social settings. And that was probably the most difficult thing because I don't necessarily want to talk about work outside of work, but also Mm -hmm. recognize that people were sort of craving to hear and learn more about these issues. So that was a little more challenging in social settings. And 
you know, quite frankly, weren't getting together that much with the pandemic anyway, but I did find that it was a little more challenging then. Like I said, just the bottom line things, I am very intentional in carving out time for myself to get my mind off of work and, and, and some of these issues that we're all dealing with. And that's so important for sustainability and being able to make an impact over the long term. And rather than being cheesy, I think the morning sunrise walk with the, the dogs is a beautiful image and one that when I heard it in my head when you described it, and I felt my whole nervous system just calm down, right? I mean, even imagining that scene is one that can help us to relax and put ourselves in a better place. Jason, over to you. Next questions. You know, I, I, I love, Ken, how you're talking about self-care. Your intentions are actually founded in social science. One, being in and around nature and being present uh, is uh, been proven to be calming. And then two, uh, the commitment to laughter and comedy is also uh, calming. Personally, I'm a huge fan of the uh, uh, comedians in cars getting coffee. The fact that you're putting on your own oxygen mask first is absolutely fantastic. I also identify with your redefinition of exercise at our ripe young ages. I don't run as much. I've gotten more on the bicycle and swimming. So I think it's great how you're both taking care of yourself and that's allowing you to do the important work that you're doing. You've lived multiple lives. You've been uh, in the JAG Corps. You've been a practicing attorney transition to being uh, a DEI professional within AMLAW 100 law firms and now a DEI exec within Fortune 500. As you've evolved, what uh, workplace support or benefit did you find helpful as you became a working parent? Yeah, I think the workplace has evolved quite a bit in the 20 years that I've been working. I took advantage of all the available benefits. I'll just put that out there for sure. One of the things that I really appreciated was parental leave. Uh, it's an obvious one, but you know there was also a time, and as I said at the outset, my oldest is 15. There was a time that while parental leave was available for men and women, I just remember being in conversations with other men who almost wore it as a badge of honor that they didn't take parental leave. People telling stories of, yeah, when my wife had our children, I was in the hospital for the birth of my child. And then I went back to work and I didn't take any vacation. So it still happens, it. Ken. It still why, happens. Sadly. Why am I not surprised? Why am I not surprised yeah. by that? And, and mm. people wore that as a badge of honor. I remember thinking, well, I'm going to take my leave, and, which I did. But you know, the thing that I'm not proud of is that I would have to leave the office early occasionally to pick my kids up from daycare. And I literally felt like I was sneaking out of the office just because I needed to get there before six o'clock before the place closed down. And I felt like I was always one of the last parents to arrive. And that's because at that time, it just felt like, uh, you know, almost a sign of weakness to be a dad who's an involved parent. So that's obviously not a good thing. I think things have changed. I hope things have changed quite a bit. Uh, from 15 years ago. I've also taken advantage of some of the financial benefits. And those are, you know, some from the standpoint of, I hate that I'm forgetting what it's called now, but the benefits around, you know, sort of tax, pre-tax benefits you can put toward childcare. Um, so we definitely took advantage of those things. But parental leave was huge. I think more than anything than any benefit, though, is 
having worked with managers, leaders, men and women who made me feel as though I shouldn't feel guilty for being a hands-on dad. And again, I think that's evolved over time. And again, you know, a lot of men, as I said before, sort of wore it, wore it as a badge of honor to um, sort of, I don't want to say not be hands-on, but, you know, to really be uber-focused on work. And so just having leaders that I worked with who basically said, yeah, go, you know, go do your thing. You know, don't, don't let your children be the last one to at daycare, you know, go. And that wasn't everybody, but there were certainly a, a few folks who I worked with, you know, leaders who are really good in that way. And, and I try to replicate those folks. Granted, we're all in this remote environment now. So we have to lead in a different way when it comes to these things and really being flexible when, you know, you see people's children or their pets in the video, but, you know, just making, letting people know that it's okay. Like, this is just work. The most important job that we have, that I have, I'm going to speak for myself here. The most important job that I have is being a husband to Jennifer and a father to those three girls I keep talking about today. And so, you know, the work stuff will be here. But my time with my kids, as they are rapidly getting older, <laughs> is finite from the standpoint that it's, you know, they're going to grow up and they're going to go off to college and they're going to leave. They'll always come back, but it will never be like, how it is right now when we're always together. Now I'm saying that as I'm sitting in, a, in my house by myself, with my kids at camp, but you know, even with them being away at camp for two weeks, that puts things in perspective because it wasn't that long ago where they weren't doing sleepaway camp. And now they're five years into this thing and they absolutely love it, which obviously is a good thing, but it also sends the message to me that, you know, when they're ready to leave, they're going to be ready. Like we've like, we're, I think we're trying to prepare them and, and it's going to be one of the hardest days of my life when my kids are going off to school. So we can't get this time back. Anything that allows us to effectively do our jobs and effectively do our most important jobs, and that is parenting, we should take full advantage of, of any benefits that allow us to, to do that. You know, Ken, I think it is outstanding that you're modeling wonderful behavior in taking leave. And I think you're hitting on something that is extremely important. Uh, and you articulating, you know, how others see it as a badge of honor that, uh, yeah, I was there for the birth and then I went back to work and how you've grounded yourself in uh, being uh, both a husband and a father, I, I think is uh, fantastic. And also, Lori likes to talk about hitting the leadership lottery that uh, you had supportive leaders in your own organization that allowed you and supported you to do so. Kudos to you, Ken. This episode of the Parents at Work podcast is brought to you by Ready, Set, Launch, a boutique career coaching firm that supports executives in career and retirement transitions, as well as building their professional services practices. I'm Jason Levin, and I've been supporting executives achieving their goals in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors for the past 10 years. Based on those experiences, I decided to write a book called Relationships to Infinity, The Art and Science of Keeping in Touch. We say keep in touch, but we struggle to do so. I wrote this book so that my readers could have proven research-based tactics to keep in touch and reap all the benefits. I'm excited about this book, and I know that you will too. 
Head over to ReadySetLaunch.net or connect with me on LinkedIn to learn more about the book. Be happy to learn more about your goals and your organization and how there might be a fit. Again, head over to ReadySetLaunch.net to get back in touch. Now, back to our episode. So as you're talking about supports and benefits that you had and you took, let's flip it to the other side. Uh, what support or benefit didn't you have, but you think other, might, uh, other parents might benefit from? What support or benefit didn't I have? Huh. When I think about some of the benefits that are available today, like we've certainly evolved. Things have certainly gotten better. I think, I think what we would, yeah, not to overgeneralize it, but I think what companies can do a better job of in, in some companies is advertising those benefits and really, encouraging, yep. <laughs> really encouraging people to take advantage of, of those things. Talk about leave as an example. You know, and I'm not going to tell you or the audience anything you don't already know. But when you compare Americans to, um, you know, other Westerners, you know, American employees, other Westerners, we underutilize our PTO. Why is that? What, like, what's what's the culture behind the fact that we've got it in our heads that we can't take adequate time off? Again, back to this badge of honor. It's almost like. Yeah, I didn't use all my PTO. I've got a bunch of time left over. So people start game figuring out how they can roll stuff over into the next year. Whereas if you didn't take it the previous year, what makes you think you're going to use it all the following year? You're not. So you're going to keep trying to roll things over. So like, why is that? So I think it's advertising, you know, really marketing the, the benefits you have, encouraging people to, to use it uh, and sending the message to folks that we'll figure things out. like it will go on and that's not a bad, like work will go on. That's not a bad thing against you. In fact, that's what we want. That's what we need. And that it's okay. I'm trying to think of other benefits that would have, that would have been great. I want to just top in on the advertising front and and tell a little story that, you know, I was working as a partner at a law firm and I did not know for the first 18 months that I worked there, that there was a backup care benefit that I was able to use when, you know, my kids were sick and I needed somebody to look after my kids. As soon as I found out, of course, I started using it, but I couldn't believe that these types of things aren't included in the onboarding package and they're not, you know, widely distributed. Like people need to get the word out. So I'm, I'm on board with that recommendation. You know, and hey, you know, it's funny, Lori, about the, uh, the uh, backup daycare. So I've worked at a couple of places that have had that, which was a great benefit. But what I found challenging about using it was that you had to go through, you know, my experience only, at some places that will remain nameless, you had to go through some of the same bureaucratic things to get in that you went through at your own daycare. And so my thought was, if it was good enough for my own daycare, like, is it not enough for me just to sort of submit the paperwork and everything that we had to go through for the daycare that we use for the on-site daycare? So I, I felt like it was unnecessarily cumbersome. And I'm look, I'm sure there's a reason for that. But I just found that that benefit was difficult to use. Well, I'll just yeah, I'll just offer that we never actually use the on-site backup daycare, but uh-huh. in a lot of places you don't face the same administrative bureaucracies if you have the nanny come to your home type of yeah. backup daycare, which is usually an option with all of those like standardized backup care. You know, we just called in whenever something happened and we couldn't get childcare and someone would show up at our house. And now one of us would often work from home since we didn't know the person, et cetera, but still it gave us another 
out of hands on deck. But yeah, I, I agree with you on the administrative burden of filling out all the forms of vaccinations and all that stuff for the on-site, but the, the in-home one helped us out a lot. I'll echo what Ken was talking about in terms of taking PTO and bravo for taking a vacation. And I agree with you. I lived in France for five years. Actually, Lori and I met in France. There was a culture of taking your vacation. You know, when I lived in Paris, people would even say to me, it's amazing in the U.S. how, you know, in the first five questions, you know, you get asked, what do you do? Uh, living in France, one of the first five questions that you get is either, what do you do in your free time? What was your last vacation? Or what are you thinking about for your next vacation? So, like, there's just this culture around making sure that people have hobbies and people have free time uh, and those kinds of things. I'm thrilled that you brought that up. You've talked a little bit about your own evolution. Um, you know, parents are uh, Nigerian and uh, you were growing up in Texas. I want to go back to Ken as a middle schooler or a high schooler. Uh, I'm going to bring my inner career coach out. I'm just curious, what was your first ever paying job? And when you think about your first ever paying job, flash forward, what career related skills do you think helped you grow because of that? Oh, I love that question. My first ever paying job, uh, I used to wash cars in the neighborhood. Uh, and I was 12 or 13. With the, the and, big squeezy uh, uh, sponge? I'll tell you, a, quick, a big sponge, a big sponge and towels. Probably not the best uh, car washing experience for my customers. But I'll tell you a quick story and then I'll like transition into sort of this car washing gig that I, I did with my brother, who's 13 months younger than, than I. You know, one of the things that my parents taught us was just you know, just the importance of just hard work generally. And if you want something, you know, just figure out how to work to get it. I was in love with uh, Air Jordan sneakers when I was a kid. And so one of the nice, things I did nice. to get some Jordans was and my parents weren't going to spend money on on Jays because they were really expensive then as they continue to be now. And my folks, they were like, no, I'm not spending that kind of money on sneakers. So what my brother and I did was we just saved up our lunch money and bought shoes. So this was back in the day when people were, when, you know, layaway was, at least in my experience, was very prevalent. And we just bought stuff on layaway. So I put these shoes on layaway for 10 weeks, would go to the mall every Friday, give them a few bucks and just literally sort of, you know, see that balance chip away. And I eventually got the shoes. Well, I got those shoes at the expense of not eating lunch for about uh, for several weeks, which was obviously was oh, not a good Wow. Uh, and, uh, wow. And I, I hid it from my parents because they would have thought it was foolish that my brother and I were saving up our lunch money to, to buy shoes. So we hid that from them. And then my brother and I decided, you know what? We got to we got to make some money, man. This is ridiculous. Like we got we have to eat and we need to earn money. So we. We're fortunate enough to have some neighbors who allowed us to wash their cars regularly. And they just sort of paid us. You know, we didn't have a set fee. Uh, they just sort of paid us out of the kindness of their hearts. And they were quite generous and generous to me as a 12, 13 year old kid. It was like 10 bucks, you know, and sometimes it would be like 20 bucks. So that was a lot of money. Back then, um, that's a lot of money. And, you know, what I learned from that experience is two things. One, if you really want something, you got to figure out how to how to get it. And that was me saving up my lunch money to get the shoes. And that was me figuring out, OK, this is not the best approach. So maybe I should get another find, figure out another way to make to make money. The second thing was, 
you got to keep your word, right? So I would schedule a time for when we we're going to wash these cars and they would make their cars available and they'd, you know, back them down the driveway and we'd get out and wash their cars. The third thing that I learned from that was that, yeah, I did my best to wash those cars and do the best job that I could. Our customers would come behind us and sort of point out some spots that needed a little additional work and we'd, you know, clean those up for them. But the other thing that I learned from that is when you're in a position to help someone else, do what you can to help them. That was what our neighbors did for us. You know, they saw that my brother and I were working hard to make a little bit of extra money so we could have a little bit of you know financial independence at a young age. And while they could have gone to have their cars detailed at you know some of the best car washing and detailing places around, or they could have done it on their own and it would have been a lot better, they allowed us to do that. And that's something I'm going to be forever grateful uh, to. And that sort of relates to my, my job today. So much of what I do now is about helping others, really being intentional in how I can help people sort of on the individual level, how I can help organizations on a group level from a DNI perspective, and how I can work, help organizations, organizations at a systemic level. Brandon, I'm getting paid for this work, obviously, but I think central to it is the importance of service. And I think when you look at my career trajectory over the past 20 years, it started in service and being you know, a JAG officer in the United States Air Force, where I learned so much about the importance of leadership and so much about the importance of followership. And one of the things that I've, that stays with me from that with the Air Force is the Air Force's core values, which is integrity first, uh, service before self, and excellence in everything you do. And you know, those are things that I've been out of the Air Force now for 16 years. It's amazing how life happens, the way time flies. But I can quote those Air Force core values without hesitation. I think the reason why I can is because it really speaks to you know, my experience personally, what I've learned from my parents and my the great mentors and other folks that I've been fortunate to have in my life and how I just try to approach my work professionally as well. So I think so much of that does sort of tie back to the early days of trying to get a job so I can you know, go about getting a better way to find some J's so I don't have, so I didn't have to starve for it. But I love that question, Jason. That's awesome, Ken. And I love that your brother and you were so ingenious. So you were skipping lunch. You must've been really hungry at dinner. Your parents must've been saying, what, what's going on here? <laughs> That's so funny. I, when I was younger, I had a really big appetite. And so they were probably like, you're eating a lot more than usual right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And I, I like how you think about it in terms of service and helping others. And so important to make those positive ripples that you were the benefit of those positive ripples. You've remembered that. And now you're intentional about doing that uh, in your own world, both uh, professionally and personally. So bravo. This next question also relates to service, Ken. As a dad who's advancing diversity in the workplace, what do you see as your role in shaping the conversation around working parenthood? I think it's similar to my role in advancing DNI generally, and that is to have really honest conversations about what some of the challenges are. 
you know, those conversations are evolving. It's so funny, you know, when I think about these issues and sort of this work generally, when I started off by saying, you know, a lot of this work is, is an extension of the civil rights movement. While a lot of the, while we've made a lot of progress on some of the issues that, you know, the civil rights issue, civil rights movement sought to advance, you know, you know, generations, decades ago, you know, some of those old, some of those, the original issues still exist, right? So we haven't mm-hmm. solved all that. And then on top of that, there are new issues that we're contending with because things are constantly evolving. One being sort of the trans issues and, mm-hmm. you know, in the workplace and in society generally. I think the same goes to issues facing working parents. And I think what we have seen in this COVID era in which we're in is, okay, now that we're in a hybrid environment, how do we effectively navigate the workplace for everyone? But since we're talking about working parents, how do we also help working parents navigate the workplace when there was a lot of concerns about beginning of COVID, you know, around the she session and the disproportionate impact of COVID on women, uh, on working women, on women that have that also happen to be moms or women generally. What could we do to create a workforce that was more inclusive of women when there was this fear that we we're going to lose a lot of the gains that we made and in increased women participation in the workforce? And, you know, early signs seem to indicate that uh, we're going to go backwards. And so I think, you know, one of the things that we have to do, sort of my role in this space is helping organizations continue to be vigilant and creative in how we foster a more inclusive environment where you're going to have some people in the office, you're going to have some people at home, you're going to have, you know, some people, you know, with tons of resources at their disposal to help them effectively navigate the challenges facing us. And some people who are going to have limited resources. It's almost as if, you know, while you know, we're going through COVID, we're all sort of going through the storm together, but we are all in different ships, different boats going through it. And some people are in boats that are, you know, can handle rougher seas a little better and others are in boats that, that can't, right? And so I think it really calls for, one, honest conversations around the disproportionate, disparate impact of how we're all addressing this, you know, facing these issues. And two, really being creative in how we come up with solutions to these issues. So, so I think my role is to, one, be the facilitator of the honest conversation. Two, do it in a way to where I'm also sharing my own experiences. So I think it really, I think people really crave authentic conversations and leaders who are so comfortable in their skin that they're willing to say that, you know what, I'm having a hard time too. And here are some of the challenges that I'm facing. So, you know, me being willing to put my, myself out there and three, then really getting the wisdom of the crowd to figure out how we can be creative in addressing some of these challenges in a way that's, you know, helpful for working parents, but also mindful of, of the fact that there are a lot of folks who aren't working parents, but are also in the workplace who are struggling as well. Absolutely. I really appreciate your modeling of that vulnerability. And also vigilant and creative are two amazing words that we all need to focus on. Final questions for Ken. So lightning round. Ken, three questions in one. What's your number one piece of advice for navigating life as a working parent? Your number one book and your number one piece of technology. So number one piece of advice for navigating life as a working parent. 
number one book and number one piece of technology? The number one piece of advice, vigilance, persistence, self-care, disconnect. Number one book that I'm reading right now. I read a, I read a great book. Again, this is me you know, disconnecting from my everyday, but also have an interest in sports, history, stuff like that generally. I just read this great book by Malcolm Gladwell called The Bomber Mafia. And it's about innovation during World War II, the lead up to World War II, around how to create precision bombing to make war a little more humane. Whereas before, the, the approach was just you know dropping a bunch of bombs indiscriminately and hoping that it hits military targets, but not really caring that much if it hits civilians. And the thought by the thought by some really creative you know, engineers and other experts and Air Force leaders was, you know, if we could create precision bombs, it would reduce the number of civilian casualties. So Gladwell tells us really an incredible story about the work that was necessary to do that. I'm not going to give anything away, but it's definitely worth the read. I thoroughly enjoyed it and read it around the 4th of July, sort of ran through that book. What's awesome about it is that it really gets into technology, which brings me to your third question, piece of technology I'm using right now is, uh, as I said at the outset, I'm really into physical fitness. So I got a tonal and piece of workout equipment that you can literally put on your wall. You got to have experts install it. And I got some of this stuff from in-home as a result of COVID. But what's fascinating about the tonal, it is literally like having a piece of machine learning in your home. As I work out on it, it can tell me when uh, it can it can detect when I'm getting a little weaker in my exercise. So it has this thing called automatic assist. It gives me tips on how to do the movements correctly. And this is all happening in real time. And then it tracks the progress of my workouts over time. So I can go back and look at the data and see where I need to improve or quite frankly, see how I'm tracking over time. So that piece of technology and that piece of equipment is incredible. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And just a quick aside, I recently had foot surgery, so I'm limited in some of the activities I can do on that, but I'm able to find workouts that allow me to work around the limitations I have from foot surgery. So it's just been a great piece of technology that's literally in my basement. That is amazing, Ken. Fascinating responses to uh, this question. And uh, as a fellow fan of Malcolm Gladwell. I have not read The Bomber Mafia, so I need to uh, definitely uh, pick that up. And uh, positive healing thoughts in your direction as you recover from uh, foot surgery. So, uh, Lori, I'll let you close it out. Thank you so much, Ken, for coming on to the podcast and sharing your story. I'm like sitting here Googling tonal because I have not heard of this. So now I see what it looks like. And yes, it does look like it needs to be properly mounted to the wall. So thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> really, really grateful to you for your time and your wisdom and everything that you shared today. To everyone who's listening today, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this conversation, would you leave us a review on whatever uh, spot you found the podcast? Also, would you share it with a friend? If you know a DEI professional, also consider sharing both this episode and the Moms in DEI episode that was recently released. And we will see you all next time. Thanks so much for joining us on the Parents at Work podcast. 